Welcome to the GovComs podcast, bringing you the latest insights and innovations from experts and thought leaders around the globe in government communication. Now, here is your host, David Pembroke. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to GovComs, the podcast that examines the practice of content communication in government and the public sector. My name is David Pembroke, and thank you very much for joining me once again. Today, I have a guest by the name of Sheena Island, and she's the director at Specialists in Communications, and they're doing some quite interesting things in government communications here in Canberra, and we'll come to that in a moment. But Sheena has a long and extensive career in senior communications, in positions in government and in industry. She's worked in the areas of science and research, automotive, arts, and in sport. Through that 16-year career, she's worked with government and industry bodies. She's worked as the Director of Stakeholder Relations at the Australian Research Council. She was a media advisor to a federal government cabinet minister and communications manager for the Federal Chamber of Automotive Industry. She's got a great background, a great career, and she joins me in the studio. Sheena, thanks very much for joining us on GovComs. Thanks, David. Thanks for having me. So maybe the backstory of Sheena Island. Where mm. are you from and how did you find your way into this interesting world of government and public sector communication? Well, um, interestingly enough, I kind of fell into government when I wasn't actually sure what I wanted to do with my life. So I joined the public service at 18, Uh um, not quite knowing which uni degree to necessarily do. So it turns out it was a wonderful move. I went in on a two-month holiday cover. Um, You know, 12 years later, I decided to step out and, and, you know, go to a peak body and then start my own business after that. So um, I feel like I grew up in government, which is why I have such a passion for government. My first roles were in kind of the facilities area, but then I slowly went across to um, areas and did communications um, and then sort of went to to do task force orientated stuff. And and so communications became became such a theme that I then did my degree while working um, and eventually went on to be a director of stakeholder relations at um, the Australian Research Council, which is a great um, sort of agency in the government, Um, went on to work for a minister um, and then kind of doing everything I thought I could in that government career, stepped out to go into a lobby group, which is not far from government, and learn a whole range of uh, new skills. So across that, that's really the you know, almost the full gamut of, yep. of government, public sector, up onto the hill. Um, what's your view of the current state of government communications? Is As technology changes, as it empowers people, is it becoming more important and how ready are we to take advantage of these changes in technology? I think it's extremely important. I think what we've got is a bit of a crowded marketplace at the moment for communications in every area. You know, back when I started, things were simpler. We could go to an RSL, meet with a bunch of farmers and talk to them about the issues that affected them, telecommunications, anything. We could work with post offices in regional areas to put out um, campaign material that actually reached the audience we wanted to. when I started in comms, not every agency really had a website that they put information on. And so with the rise of, I guess, that digital communications, things sort of became easier. But in a way, people then had this perception that they could just put it on a website or they could put something on Facebook and it would go out to the public. So we lost that ability, I think, to do strategy, coupled with the fact that there's so much pressure to get things done short time, short term. Yeah. Um, and there is such a focus on the 24-7 media. And yes, there has to be a focus. Um, I think we're in a dynamic 
dynamic at the moment where um, we're not given enough time necessarily to do that strategy and to really target that audience. And I think there's some amazing communicators in government, there's some amazing work going on um, and some of the cut through is the bit where um, it's time for government to look, build those relationships and work on how some of that those messages can cut through to the right audience, which is not always media. Mm. That's often the complaint that from you hear from government communicators all the time is that there's there's not enough time. Mm. They can't get it done because they're too busy doing the doing. They can't get to the strategy work and therefore the capability around strategy starts to fall off because yeah. they're not often doing it. They're just creating stuff, um, yeah. so to speak. How How is that difficult problem solved? Um, so I have a lot of conversations about this. Sometimes it's it's actually going back to the basics. It's getting comms involved from the beginning. It's having really diverse teams at the beginning of a project. We talk a lot about in this day and age, um, digital service delivery. And the the issues that often communicators find when they're getting um, up to speed on a project halfway through or at the end, you know, having to communicate a new program when they're only getting information at the end. And so those diverse teams at the beginning, having comms as a seat at the table at the beginning of that transformation process and all the way throughout can help them not only help navigate the process and get it to the right audience and pick up little things that others mightn't, um, you know, it actually can help them communicate to the best of their abilities at the end. You know, there's a reason in those projects we need people, you know, across policy, across comms, across IT. Um, Those diverse teams at the beginning, um, I think, are essential. Um, They're starting to happen in some areas, but they're not happening across the board. And I think time and money, you know, is one thing. Mm. Do you think Agile, which is now, you know, every every time you wander into a new (laughs) government department, there's you know, stand-ups and Kanbans and all these yep. other things that are going on. Do you think that's helping or is that hindering? I would... sort of speed and pace and, you know, let's yeah. change and try and move and adapt. Yeah. I mean, I'm all for some of those stand-up meetings and getting people across things, but it's it again comes back to strategy. It's, you know, the ti- right time and the place, you know. Is it relevant to have it every morning? Maybe. Is it relevant um, to include everyone? Maybe not. Um, who are the right people to include? When are the right milestones? And if we're having, we're overdoing it with the agiles, the stand-up meetings, um, let's be honest, human behaviour is that we kind of disengage because we feel like we know it all. We've been to these meetings, it's wasting our time. So that relevance of every one of those meetings needs Needs to be considered. Yeah. <laughs> here, here, I can hear people <laughs> say one more stand-up that I've got to do is going to kill me. But it, it, interestingly, I think going back to that point that you raise about uh, diverse teams at the beginning of, of, of projects, how does comms get involved? How do they find themselves to be invited if often they're not invited because they're not thought about to be um, worthy mm. uh, to be involved in in a conversation because ultimately, you know, they are the colouring in department yeah. at the end of the line and mm. they will just produce and make it look pretty, make yeah. it look good. You know, they, they're not valued as, um, say, behavioural scientists or economics people maybe. Yeah, and I think that's that's the huge point. You know, they are the colouring people at the, the end of the chain. And so I think um, as communicators, uh, you know, across government, everyone needs to kind of look at how they're selling themselves internally, how they're asserting their worth. Um, I run some planning days um, with comms units and I did one recently where the reality was the team were just too helpful. They were ended up they ended up doing briefing notes for everyone in the agency. Now is that a good use of their time? Not really. Does that show their skills? Not really. And when um, we put it to them, of course they wanted to be helpful. They wanted to help everyone. But in reality they're de-skilling the agency from doing those briefing notes. So having those hard conversations and going, okay, what is the value of comms? Um, you know, is it just doing briefing notes? Is it just doing the colouring in? 
Probably not. Mm. Um, so it's up to communications people, I think, to really assert their worth. And it's not just individually within agencies. I think across the whole APS and in all of the state governments, I think it's um, everyone working together to actually show that comms should have a seat at the table because when they do, the outcomes actually are far greater than we can imagine. Mm. So indeed, that that's, I suppose gets to the point of having a process perhaps that they can bring to those conversations early, but then to uh, demonstrate that worth, demonstrate that value. But again, how do you do that? How do you demonstrate value? Yeah, sometimes I say it's pushback. Um, So sometimes I know when I was um, working within government, it's being able to push back on all levels and even push back towards ministers' offices. I mean, you know, um, we've gotten to a stage where there's a there's just a yes, I'll deliver, and hence the comms team become known as the people who do briefing notes or, or you know, certain other things that aren't necessarily um, a good showcase of their skills. Um, and, you know, that, that power of the frank and fearless advice because that, you know, the, the strategy element of a communicator, a great communicator who can look across everything and give a great strategic view as well as do the implementation um, is worth their weight in gold. Um, but we're not showcasing that strategy element. We're not necessarily pushing back on people um, to say, actually, I think we should do it a different way and this is why. It's doing the thorough explain through too instead of just pushing back um, once and saying no, it's pushing back and saying actually because of this or have you thought of this way in doing things and yep. actually if we really want to reach our audience, this is what we do. So it's being, um, I guess, brave and bold to have those conversations. And not always being a pleaser. Yes, <laughs> yeah, and we fall into that. I think as communicators, we want to please, we want to serve. So it's very easy to fall into those behavioural patterns of wanting to please. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in what we do is then we take it away from actually that real great value of, um, you know, some of that pushback stuff is is worth its weight in gold and can make or break something. Mm. So are you seeing signs of it? Are you seeing signs of improvement of um, comms areas really standing up and saying, look, this is what we do. Here's the service that we can. Here's the value that we we can deliver. Where they've got really good defined service offerings that can explain quite clearly to people where it where it is that the value can be created. Yes, I have seen it, and I think what it takes is bold leadership. And you know, I've spoken to a lot of even young communicators lately um, who want to um, who, who have that great strategic view and, and by all intents and purposes, have come into the government because they want to make a difference. Um, and sometimes then they're under leadership that is, you know not necessarily the the type that will push back. Or we have comms units that are led by people who aren't from a comms background because, you know, I always talk about when I started in comms, you know, it was recognised as a professional specialist skill, just like your legal area, you know, um, whereas now comms is is kind of, you know, anyone can write, who can write can go into a comms unit or actually anyone can lead a comms unit. And I would argue that that's not necessarily the case. Comms is still a specialist skill. Um, and by just allowing anyone to lead a comms unit, um, you know, they can do their best. And I feel sorry for people who, who get put in this situation yeah. because, you know, it, it's hard when you don't understand the, the elements of communication strategy or, or anything like that. Um, it can be hard to try and lead a comms unit. Mm. Um, so you need someone who actually has those skills to be in leadership and then you need that bold leadership who's going to actually, um, you know, assert their worth and, and assert themselves to be a seat at the table. I heard an interesting thing the other said the other day by a senior member of, of the Australian Public Service mm-hmm. and they were discussing the types of people who sit yeah. at the top of the tree, the, the, the types of people who are secretaries in, of departments and deputy secretaries of the department and they're generally not from a comms yeah. background. Mm-hmm. They don't have that 
type of personality. So mm-hmm. they don't tend to value it as, yeah. as much or they don't tend to understand where that value can come from. And I thought that was quite interesting, mm-hmm. understanding that the organisationally they're not seeing the value because they don't understand that there is value to be achieved there. Yeah, it's extremely true. And I noticed it in um, the car industry, to be honest, and I love the car industry, worked in there for, for a long time. But um, in, in a similar way, what happened was, um, you know, when Australia had domestic manufacturing, um, a lot of the car companies were headed by, you know, people of an economic background, um, people of a finance background. And, yeah. and this is what happens in the government. You've got secretaries who are, who are in, you know, have an economic background, yeah, a finance background. Policy. Yeah, yeah, and that's great and that has has great worth but if they're not surrounded by if they're surrounded by a team that is like them there then that's where the conversations are going to go if they're surrounded by a diverse team that includes comms that includes marketing that includes sales anything like that the conversations can change and the outcomes can change and um you know the reason i raised the car industry because it was interesting when you know when it was a manufacturing base you know the, the heads of the companies were from those those finance backgrounds and and quite interestingly when things changed and and um we transitioned the automotive industry the heads largely then became the 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 people who had come through sales and, and marketing and, and yeah. communications and, and the way those companies ran had to change and it did change because, again, when you're not manufacturing in a country, your your focus has to be sales. But yes. that increase of the communications is is amazing as well. So, you know, I think departments are a bit the same. You know, it, it's who's been put at the, the top and it doesn't necessarily mean we need comms people at the very top but what we need is is that person who's at the top surrounded by comms, person who, comms people who can provide that frank and fearless advice and, and that lens. Yeah. So interestingly, you're just um, demonstrating your own leadership in this space by putting together um, a, a grouping called our our comms network. Now, tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah. So our our comms network is something I think I've had in my head for about ten years now, and it's finally just been the right time, I guess, to to put it out there. But. Um, Largely, it's to get together communicators um, from across government and from across that ecosystem too. Yeah. So, you know, the consultants that work closely with government as well as the, the communicators or the, the CEOs in peak bodies and government communicators. Now, there's, you know, the, the main thing is to get people networking and to get those relationships going because, you know, again, with that time issue that we're having, what I'm seeing or what I'm hearing is a lot of comms people aren't networking across departments. And so gone are the days where you just picked up the phone and, and I used to do this in the Australian Research Council picked up the phone to another department and said, hey, we've got this thing going on. It touches on your issues. Can we just have a chat about where that falls? Yeah. Um, and it's interesting. Sorry to interrupt you, yeah. but it's interesting you say that because I, I did have a conversation with a very senior uh, government communication specialist yeah. from yeah. overseas who came to Australia, yeah. came to Canberra in particular, uh, and was amazed mm. at the lack yeah. of cross engagement, yep. the, the lack of people talking to each other. He said nobody knows anyone. Yeah, Nobody exactly. knows where anyone is because everyone's so busy. They don't have time to go and do it. But then there's no real structures. And I know, you know, the IABC have attempted, yeah. the PRIA have yep. attempted over time. Yeah. But because there's no uh, priority put on it from the centre as to be, uh, you know, a, a function, a capability, yeah. a profession such as in the UK... Therefore, it's it's quite splintered and fractured mm. here in Australia. Yeah, it's absolutely right. Um, and and you know what we're trying to do is, and it's it's literally starts as a word of mouth, and you know so we're trying of word of mouth to 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 sort of put it out there and, and get people in, and um, you know it is about forming those connections and and showing people that that's wor- uh, worthwhile, showing yeah. people the importance of having those connections and how it can not just help them in terms of their personal and 
development, but their professional development, um, their their agency's development or their department's development, because suddenly they've got those networks or those connections across departments that make things easier. Um, It's also sharing knowledge. You know, often in in government, if we've got newer comms teams, they're not sure what boundaries, or if you've got, you know, a senior leader who is very strict on, on boundaries, it can be perceived that in communications you can't be creative or you can't necessarily do this or you can't spend money in a certain way. So learning from people's experience can start to break down some of those perceptions and go, okay, well, this is how we got around this issue. This is how we, um, you know, found out about our audience. This is how we did our market research. Or this is even how we asserted that we needed a seat at the table in strategy. Um, Because I think comms is quite an isolating role um, in the sense that it doesn't have the peaks and troughs that other people talk about in in different areas. Not that I think government's got peaks and troughs anymore. Everyone's busy as anything. Um, But, you know, people don't look after their health, their wellbeing, anything like that, because you're attached to a a mobile phone that you can get a call from the minister's office or or media or secretaries or, or anyone at any hour. And I know that's not everyone, but that's a reality that says people have to be constantly switched on. You know, you ask any comms person and they're, they're reading their emails before bed and first thing when they, they get up. So they've gotten into an environment that's so busy that we want to kind of break that cycle and help them network and learn from others and and learn the importance of separating themselves sometimes from their, their phone and their emails so they can be more creative and they mm. can actually go back to that comms stuff that they love mm. um, as opposed to feeling it's a, a burden in a way because they're so busy. Yeah. And how, how are you going to make that happen? How are you going to help? people to find the time to be able to uh, engage in, yep. in this community. So it's a problem we're still working on. So at the moment what we're doing is having panel discussion events. So we feel like getting people involved in the discussions by way of panel events will help them see some benefit in coming to every event. So we're getting senior leaders from government, um, you know, um, you know, ex-political journalists, people like that, to come and actually have a good conversation. So by getting those, I guess, good speakers on the panel, we're hoping to actually then get um, the the attendance. And, and we started to get some attendance. The, the first event, you know, as is with any comms event, you know, you get um, sort of 10 people who message you at the last minute because they can't get out of the office, which is fine, and then the other 20, <laughs> you know, are able to come. And so we kind of expect that at every event. Um, we've got a LinkedIn group that we're encouraging people to do discussions in. So if they can't attend because they are so busy, they can at least start to see what kind of discussions might unfold through that LinkedIn event. Um, We're also having discussions with them. I've had one-on-ones with quite a few people to link them with mentors. So if they can't attend events, they could at least start to look at a mentoring arrangement or a mentee arrangement, and that's cross-department. I always believe it should never be in the same department. It it should be cross-department. So we're trying sort of a multifaceted approach to get people in and involved. Um, And then if they see the value in those points, they'll hopefully go to the, the Um, the events and the events are really just to help provide knowledge and to help with information sharing and uh, you know to help all of us kind of look at how we can better show the great work that's going on um, in the government because, you know, you hear the frustrations, I hear the frustrations, I think we all hear the frustrations mm. because there's some amazing people doing some amazing work that that never seems to get out there mm. um, and people are constantly chasing their tails. So that's kind of where we're trying to, to get it out and, and that's the sell. And so for, for me, I guess the good part is, you know, um, I'm just starting it uh, to bring together people so the numbers don't matter at each event. You know, we could have... Um, 20 at one event and we're still going to run it. We can have 60 at another event and we're still going to run it. So the good part about that is we can start to just work with what we've got and start to foster that connections and then hopefully that word of mouth will help get it out. Mm. Okay. Well, that's 
very noble. It's a, it's, it's a fantastic... <laughs> uh, and it's really just a commitment, really, to try to, to build a profession, isn't it? Absolutely, it is. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, great. So how can people get involved? Um, so there is a LinkedIn group. They can search our comms network and, um, you know, hit the button to, to go into that group and I can accept them. They can email me at sheena at sicomms.com. So it's sicomms.com, sorry, .au. Yep. Um, you know, or look me up on, on LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'll send them all the details. Uh, we have just an email list that I send um, out to people. I do a lot of one-on-one follow-ups and, and calls and things like that, and I'm always happy to meet with people for coffee just to talk about the group and, as I said, linking people with mentors or, or mentees. Yep. Um, you any, know. More, any aspiration to take it further than Canberra or just to sort of do it here, get it right and then see what happens? Not just in Australia, but mm. on, on this podcast we have people in yeah. government communications listening from all over the world. Yeah. So perhaps they can get involved as well? Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to hear from, um, you know, anyone across the world or anyone across Australia. We're working with um, some people in the New South Wales government at the moment to look at running um, particularly one on digital service delivery, uh, an event, a panel discussion event in Sydney and looking to start up a communications network up there as well. Um, you know, obviously anyone can attend that as well. So there's a few people we've talked to in the federal government who want to go up to, to that event as well. So everyone can, you know, we're all transient. Yeah. Um, so we are looking at doing something in, in New South Wales in the next coming months, so stay tuned. It'll be one big um, sort of network in, in itself and just with events run in different locations. Yeah. Um, and our plan is to have some side focus groups if we feel the need to, to look at certain issues. You know, the APS review is going on at the moment. It could yeah, be that we look that's... to have a focus group that actually says, okay, well, let's stop and think because... Yeah. I, you know, I haven't heard of anyone in comms actually putting anything forward to that review again because of the busyness or, you know, the want to serve yeah. others and instead of looking at their own. And so looking at, okay, is there a chance to say, okay, we'll go a focus, we'll, we'll set up a focus group and we'll look at, okay, what are the big things that need to change in comms or, yeah. or how do we better assert ourselves and how do we put that forward? Because, you know, APS reform is going to go on for a couple of years now. How do we make sure that we don't miss this opportunity to put um, ourselves forward for this as well. Interesting. I did hear from somebody else that there, it has been a theme. Yeah. Uh, even though the communications yeah. didn't have time to yeah. put things in, uh, just through the consultation of the group mm. that is actually doing it, there is some uh, consideration being yeah. given for where is the function, where does it sit, yep. where does it live, how does it work, how do we develop mm. it, how do we take it forward. So I think there might be some interesting things coming out of that APS review. Yeah, exactly. So we'll exactly. Wait and see. Exciting now times. Now, listen, just before we uh, – we've got a few more minutes before we finish today and what I always like to do is to try to – Use our guests and to squeeze them while we've got them to get, to get as much um, value from them as possible. So how then, just perhaps some advice. What advice do you have for um, government communicators at the moment in terms of the skills that they need to acquire and the skills that they need to have mm -hmm. to be to be more relevant, to be more valuable to their organisations? Yeah. Um, I would say never neglect skills development. Um, but in terms of skills, I know a lot of people have a focus on those those digital skills and there's a lot of people coming through with that. I would say going back to those soft skills and those human skills, the value of a, a great communicator is that, um, you know, we acknowledge and we look at human behaviour. Um, we identify our audiences. And so going back to those human behaviours, looking at empathy, um, applying empathy to every area. I mean, you know, working with comms units, working with parliamentary units, 
and it's as soon as you assert empathy into those processes and people understand where everything's at, suddenly the process can work so much better. And that is the power that communicators have. I mean, our studies are all on human behaviour and how people connect. Without a connection, we've got no communication. Um, so I would say um, to, to every communicator, yes, there's there's a push to, to learn every digital platform, to, you know, move forward and things like that. I think there's enough people coming through. Um, I think communicators need to go back to basics and look at that strategy, look at empathy, look at the human elements, look at behaviour. Um, that's the training that we we often neglect to keep up with and that's the training we often forget as soon as we walk out of that university door. Yeah, right. So being able to bring that. And how do you bring empathy into discussions? What is the best way? So for, for me, I think empathy is, you know, it's, it's that walking in someone else's shoes or it's, it's you know, it's sitting, it's, it's sitting in a place where you can um, sort of sit with that person and that, you know, obviously can be anyone, but, you know, looking at your audience and going, okay, if I was sitting with them, what are they feeling? What are they, you know, doing? Why are they acting that way? You know, um, why are people asking such questions? You know, what are their real pain points? All of those kind of things. It's being able to, yeah, walk, be in someone else's shoes mm. um, fully. Yeah. And but to sustain that in a in a conversation and, mm. and to create value from that, how do you do that time and time again yeah. in a busy environment yeah. where perhaps, as you say, there's yeah. not often a lot of time to be able to be stopping and thinking because yeah. we're so busy doing the doing. Yeah. Um, and so I think it is still stop and think, but it's just question everything. And that doesn't have to take long. Um, if you're writing something, question it. Does it reach the audience? How are they going to perceive it? Um, and remember that, and I think the biggest thing with empathy we lack is we, we forget that not everyone is on our level. So we try to communicate to everyone on our level. We assume everyone has the same amount of knowledge we have. And so empathy is about going, hold on, what level of knowledge does this person have? Have I actually, you know, done, you know, does this communication actually help them or does it kind of go over the head or is it defensive conversation, which is never going to get anywhere? Um, I think it's always questioning everything, going, if I received this, how would I feel? Yeah. Okay. So you're optimistic about the future yeah, absolutely of, of government communications? You think that the, the march is on, you know, the march up the value chain is on and that comms will be able to assert itself over time? Um, very much so. So I'm really optimistic. There's some great skills. There's some great talent. I mean, you know, and it's the the reality the is we need it. Though, isn't we it? You need know, ultimately, it. that's what yeah. it gets back to. Is that it's yeah. it's so critical. Yeah. Because if you can't explain policy, yeah. if people don't understand mm. what what you're doing and why the reasons why you're doing it, yeah. well, ultimately, it's going to fail. Absolutely. And so therefore, the comms people have to be part of the solution. Absolutely. So you've got your writing instructions out there, people. Time to go out there and get involved in those conversations as early as possible and make sure that when you go into these conversations, you've got structure, you've got that questioning that Sheena talks about, but you can demonstrate the value of not only your ideas, but then that effective implementation and evaluation. That's probably one thing, yeah. one more thing that we haven't touched yep. on yet is really the lack of evaluation. Absolutely. You know, that there, where, where there is no va evaluation, there can be no value. So yes. people will not give you the credit for something mm. unless you're being able to go back and say, look, this is the, these are the impacts that we we're able to have. Absolutely. Mm. You know, evaluation is, is, is key. And, you know, acknowledging when sometimes we have to pivot because we've done an evaluation and we've realised that we haven't actually got it right yeah. the first time. Yeah. Very good. Okay, Sheena, thanks very much for coming in today and for sharing some of your valuable time with our audience who I know certainly will appreciate that insights and all the very best 
for our comms network. And if there's anything we can do over the next little while, I think, uh, interestingly, some of those conversations might be really good to record hmm. and to be able to turn into content. Yeah. Um, and so people could hear. So we'll, we might have a chat about that as well. Anyway, thanks to Sheena Island for coming in to the studio today here in Canberra, Australia. And thanks to you, the audience, for coming back once again. And I'll be back at the same time in two weeks because we've now dropped it back to a two-week Uh, schedule uh, for our podcasts. So I'll be back in a couple of weeks and I look forward to speaking to you again then. But for the moment, it's bye for now. You've been listening to the GovComs podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate and subscribe to stay up to date with our latest episodes. 